Kazuma. Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson, Episode 5, Sean Pryor. Welcome back to Artist Proof. I'm your host, Adrian Johnson, and today's conversation is with Sean Pryor. Sean is someone that I've wanted to speak with for quite some time um, because we pretty much know each other from online exclusively. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to meet the man in person, press the, f- press the flesh, break the bread, all that good stuff, but it's, he's, he's, he's someone that I followed online um, not just because he's a good dude, but also he's put out uh, a few projects that have been like really, really um, uh, appealing to me. Um, the most recent of which he just had a successful Kickstarter campaign uh, for his uh, all ages comic called Cash and Carry, uh, co-created with uh, Julie Spaziani and art by uh, Penny Candy Studios. Um the physical copies were just sent out, I want to say over a month ago. I know I got mine about three months, not three months, three weeks ago, rather. And it's delightful in every sense of the word. I mean, it's almost as if it was an adaptation of an existing Cartoon Network show. Like, I could turn on the TV and see Cash and Carrie already being a cartoon. I mean, it's great. So definitely check that out. Um, before I go any farther with that, uh, let me just also say that Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson is produced by Inazuma Studios, LLC. Inazuma Studios is my personal brand. Uh, it's my artistic outlet for any projects that I have. In addition to um, producing commercial art when the opportunity arises for other clients. Um, but you can definitely check me out here at InazumaStudios.com. That's I-N-A. Z-U-M-A Studios, all one word, dot com. You can also follow Inazuma Studios online at various social media outlets such as Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram. And um, definitely uh, keep, a, keep appraised of, you know, the comings and goings of Inazuma Studios. Um, hopefully, we have some cool stuff coming out in the next few months. I'm going to play that close to the vest because that's what I want to do. But definitely check me out. Uh, that's anosmostudios.com. You can also find back episodes online at anosmostudios.com in addition to iTunes. Um, so I'm available online. Get at me. Now, back to uh, the conversation with Sean. I think you guys are going to dig it. Uh, we talk a lot about how to run a successful Kickstarter because, believe it or not, not all Kickstarters are, and not all crowdfunding campaigns are created equal. And oftentimes it's due to those potential campaigns just starting off the, um, the, the starting block, just handicapped, you know, via with certain facets not in place to really help them succeed. 
And so Sean and I talk about what those particular facets are and how you should have those in place before you even consider a campaign. And Sean has had several successful campaigns prior to uh, the most recent with uh, Cash and Carry. So the man knows what he's talking about. And so definitely check that out if you're thinking about starting a, um, a, a crowdfunding campaign um, in the very near future. Also, we talk about his other upcoming project uh, through Crowd Taker Studios um, called Force. And uh, it's an acronym. I don't remember offhand what it is. Sean does, and he says it in the episode, and it's probably much smoother that way. Um, but Force is a, um, it's a football comic. It'll be out next year at some point, and it's um, co-created by um, Sean himself in addition to uh, writer B. Alex Thompson and art by Jay Reed. Um, Sean is very excited about this as he discusses in the conversation. Uh, we also discuss, um, in addition with that, or um, as an addendum to that, kind of like the dearth of sports comics in the industry. I mean, this industry has almost been exclusively um, capes and tights, and now, you know, crime comics are making a rise as well over the past decade or so, and um, seems like those two genres are pretty much, you know, got they got the industry in the headlock, but... <laughs> But you don't really see a lot of sports comics, and so I de I think it'll be definitely something that'll stand out. Um, in addition to the talents of you know Sean and um, Jay Reed and um, Mr. Thompson. So yeah, so let's get to it. I know you guys are champing at the bit to get into this conversation. This is Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson, Episode Five, with Baracko Comics himself, Sean Pryor. But I guess to start it off, man, just just a little, a, a little, a little uh, funny question to kind of uh, break the ice a bit, man. Yeah. I first encountered you uh, via the uh, Comic Geek Speak message boards, and there was a uh, there was a nickname that you were going that you were uh, kind of I guess anointed with, you know, during that time as uh, Barack O Comics. And you, <laughs> yes. and man, I, and, you, and, I, and, um, and being honest, man, like I can't help but bring that up when I mention you to other people, because yeah. it's because you you do have a um an air about you, man, where you know much like our our president, you know you're you're very forthright, and you stand behind what you say, you know you're. You, you know, you kind of have that that air, like I'm saying, where man, if Sean says it, he's going to do it. You know, and he has the uh, the impetus to back it up. And so I was just wondering, where did that come from? Like, when did that start? I I I want to say maybe about four or five years ago, maybe. Because as, as far as the nickname, as far as like this kind of this whole making comics thing and stuff. I I guess if you want to take it back a little bit past that and work up to when that nickname became you know canon do that <laughs> <laughs> I, if, if i remember right the nickname became canon on an episode on the episode i want to say of episode of comic geek speak mm -hmm. um and i want to say either peter or someone else anointed that nickname because like i think peter peter rios gave me two nicknames he gave me barocco comics <laughs> 
and and like it's either Peter, it's either Peter, Brian, and a couple other cats gave me Baraco comics. But I remember Peter Rios specifically giving me Stan Leroy. <laughs> about, I forgot about, about that. About a, year, about a year before that, a year, year or two before that, I even. When I when I and when I started PKD Media all those years ago, yeah, I, I remember one year I went to the Pittsburgh Comic Con and I tabled there. I want to say it's my second or third year, and Stan and Stan Lee was going to be there, mm-hmm. and I made a Stan Leroy T-shirt. Oh, and it literally was just a gray T-shirt and like a big bold black print Stan Leroy on it. And I wore that mug, <laughs> and folks was like, "What's wrong with you?" And I was like, I- "I'm like, hey, I'm just I'm just trying to keep it real. Like, you know, they annoyed me, Stan Leroy." They annoyed they annoyed me, Barack Comics. Yo, I'll carry that. And and the thing is, like, I appreciate that. And you know, and it's funny. Um, you know, and at the same time, I always like try to make clear to people that like I'm always more than that, but I still I accept those monikers because like those monikers at the same time, like um for me it was a way to continue to say, look, okay, if you're gonna give me this nickname, let me show and prove to you why, like I, you know, I'm that dude, and I don't mean that in an egotistical way. Mm-hmm. It's more, it's more of a way of saying, look, you know, if I, if I, like you said, if I say, if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and let me show you why, and let me show you how, and then when you see it, you'd be like, oh, well, damn, he did it, right, exactly, and, you know, and so that's where all, that's where all, that's where the name, that's where like, that's as far as like that time, that's where those names came from. Okay, all right, and so yeah, around that same time too. Um, that's when I became aware of, uh, Action Lab Entertainment, you know, via like, you know, just, it, it seemed like a bevy of titles, like, you know, just like, bam, 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 you know, one after the other, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in the best sense, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, being productive, you know, which is something that I feel like w- w- within the industry, you know, um, it's perhaps, um, not, not as great. You know, not amongst the mainstream because they just put out whatever, whatever. But right. it's for like you know, independents. You know, really trying to get their own products out there. You know that that can be uh, challenging. You know, at times. So yeah. you know, to really see you guys, you know, have the lineup and consistently coming out with titles. You know, what I'm saying like you know, um, you got um, Princeless, which was nominated for an Eisner a couple years ago. Yes, um, Molly Danger by uh, Jamal Eigle. Uh, Shinobi Ninja Princess by Martheus Wade, mm-hmm. and just just a host of others. You know, what I'm saying like you have a long, you know, um, laundry list of them. Um, yeah. And I know that you also served as um, president of Action Lab Entertainment from like uh, 2010 to uh, 2014, uh, just last year. Yeah. And I guess within that, uh, within that um, that realm, that might be a good place to start. Um, as you were president, you're also still writing as well, writing and creating. Actually, you know, it's funny when I was pre when I became president of Action Lab um, back in like 2010, like in early 2009, I was I was creating books under my own banner, PKD Media, and I was doing that from like late 2007 through 2000 through through like late 2009, early 2010, mm-hmm. and um, and and so like the last book at that time. When Action Lab started to get going, the last book that I wrote, and I actually had to bring in a co-writer to finish it up because my duties at Action Lab were so heavy, mm-hmm. um, was XO One and the Rock Solid Steelbots, and that was the, that was the that was the Action Lab book. It was a graphic novel, all in one, black and white, ninety six pages. It was part of their signature series line where they only printed 
like 500 copies of it, but it was digest size. Wow. And, um, and they were supposed to be like numbered and autographed on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I forget what the price point was on it. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy what the price, what the price point was for that book. Mm-hmm. Still available digitally at, uh, Comixology and for, and on the, and on the Kindle, on the Nook, you can find it pretty much anywhere digitally. Mm-hmm. So if y'all want to buy it and like, give me, give me and my crew some royalty dollars, I'm good with that. Plug. Hey, there we go. <laughs> Do but you. No, go ahead. That was that was like the that was the last book that I had wrote um or written for like a very long time because I went from being the person like with PKD Media, I was making like, you know, buddy cop comedy comics, sci fi comics. Uh I had a you know, I also had a book that was kinda like my ode to G.I. Joe called Agents of Cult. Yeah. And things like that. And I was just doing my own thing. And I was like, I was right. I, at that time, I was like, I was writing. I was editing. I, I was publishing. I was marketing. I was doing all this stuff independently. But then when you start to deal, when I joined Action Lab, it became a little bit different because it's a different scale. It's like, okay, now I don't have time to create anything because, okay, I got to deal with Diamond. Okay, so I got to learn how Diamond works. Okay, well, okay, I'm running the business too, which means I got to keep track of where all the money's going. Okay, um, who's handling our marketing? Uh, who's talking to the comic book shops? Okay, I got I got to take care of that. Hey, who's taking care of our website? Hey, who's 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 you know who's who's in charge of our digital development side? And by that and during that period of time, this is before Comicsology. This is like 2010, like 2010, 2011. Comicsology still like I don't even think that's really a thing. Right. And and so like I'm like so then we're going through like drivethroughcomics.com, like the the one of the original digital comic distributors we're going through them um you know and then when comiXology started to become a thing and we couldn't get on there at first okay we had to go through comics plus so i'm like so i'm dealing with like other digital vendors and and then you know a couple years later we end up on comiXology so i'm dealing with that but i'm handling like all these facets of the business and so you know my time to create stuff like that was just gone Mm mm-hmm it, it was just gone because literally I'm working like a nine to five job, then coming home from work, uh, you know, cooking up some dinner, um, you know, and things like that. And then I'm working, I'm, I'm working till like, you know, midnight at least every other night. Yeah. Um, and then those, and even though on those nights, I'm, I'm not supposed to be working, I'm still working. Mm-hmm. So, so like it becomes like two full time jobs and, and it just got to the point where, and I know, and I actually I explained to this to a couple of friends of mine because there's some people to this. They're like, "Well, man, why did you why did you quit being president? Why did you quit doing this? Why did you quit doing that?" And that the whole thing was, you know, people thought that like a lot of folks thought I was mad um, with the company, and I was like, it, it wasn't really that. I was just disenchanted by the comic book business as a whole. Yeah. yeah. Um, because like for me, it was a thing of especially like being you know being a black man, it was a whole thing of okay. Like um, and and like I know people are like damn he about to bring race up in this piece so I'm like look I, I gotta keep it real with you Go here's ahead. the thing here's here's the whole thing like I felt personally in in a business which really struggle in a business that really struggles with dealing with people of color mm-hmm. um I figured that my way to prove to the business as a whole that I am valuable. And that, you know, I could really do stuff and like, yo, maybe, you know, y'all should like see what we're doing over here. And also, you know, not saying look at me, look at me, look at me. But just it was a thing of 
I'm going to show you how versatile I can be. I can be a creator. I can be a business person. I can be an administrator. I can be, I can deal with distribution. I can do everything. Mm-hmm. Like like from like A to Z, I can do everything in the business. And let me show you. And I did. And in turn, it was a thing of, and I said this during the panel on the diversity in comics panel at New York Comic Con that I was on. Right. And I, and then I said like you know I just r- really in the long term I felt like a chocolate chip and a sea of milk. <laughs> yeah. You you know and like and there were just a lot of times like I do these shows, and then and like do do these shows and do these other things and like you know when you start like you know when you do the like those whole the whole industry thing, like, you know, after shows and stuff, I call it the quote unquote bar con mm-hmm. and everybody's at the bar and stuff like that. Yo, like not, I'm good with that to a point, but there's just sometimes I'm just like, man, I ain't really in the mood for this, but it's like, it's and like, and the thing is I'm a very, <laughs> I'm, I'm a very laid back dude. I'm a nice dude. And I think I'm pretty easy to get along with, Yeah, but like, it always just like felt like it's like, okay, I'm over here. Everybody else is over there. I try to go over there, and folks is like, "Look, man, we ain't trying to fuck with you." Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like. And so, and so I was just like, and that, and like that constant feeling of, so I was just like, okay, I'll just work even harder, and I'll work even harder, and I'll work even harder, and I'll prove to y'all how dope I am and how dope we are as a company. And you know, and like during my time in Action Lab, we did a lot of dope things, and they're still doing dope things right now. I I remember I joked, I joked with my with the CFO of the company, and I was like, Brian, I was like, y'all know y'all gonna go even go even further now that I'm go- now that I'm gone, right? And he was like, man, shut up. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, seriously, I was like, trust me, once I leave, things will take off e- even further. Mm-hmm. And literally, the moment I left, three or four months later, they got a TV deal for one of their books. Oh wow. You know, and like, and seriously, like, I'm like, so the wheels are, are in motion even further. But like, I, for my whole thing was like, the game just really soured me because it just felt the harder I worked and the more I did, the less the business gave a damn. Mm-hmm. And I just really just felt left out. I just really just felt left out. And like, and the thing is, like, Action Lab was supportive as they could be, but I just hated the business. I hated the business as a whole, and I was just done. And I wanted to quit. Mm. I was just done with all of it. I was like, man, fuck it, y'all can keep this shit. I don't want it anymore. Yeah, you know, and I remember you mentioning that on um, on an episode of Ignorant Bliss by our mutual friend uh, Julian Lytle, mm-hmm. and I thought that the way you the way you laid it out on there as well, I, I think it would be understandable uh, for anyone, you know. But like like you kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, I think that there are people that kind of like are chagrined when you know race is brought up you know, within comics, because I mean, it, it's there, you know, especially, you know, in, um, in recent times, you know, within mm-hmm. the past six months to a year, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and that was going to be one of the things that I was going to ask you, um, anyway, man, just yeah. in terms of <clears throat> taking that, that pedigree, um, uh, that you had in terms of management, you know, over the action lab versus being creative, you know, it does seem like you do have to, especially as an independent, you know, in whatever capacity, you do yeah. have to wear both of those hats with almost equal attention, you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to really create something. And now that you've, you know, um, had a time, had a period to kind of step back and assess things for yourself and to, um, I guess, presumably, you know, have a game plan going forward, you know, with a uh, cash and carry and crown taker studios and so forth. Yeah. How have you found, how have you found a way to like balance that? Or, or if you found a way, 
you know what I'm saying? Like, how have you kind of maybe um, thought about reconciling, you know, those two sides? Um, now, I, with the Cash and Carry project, I think I have found a way to reconcile that. Mm-hmm. Um, with Crown Taker Studios, it's still, I'll be honest with you, it's still a struggle. Um, but with Cash and Carry, it was a thing of, because of the scope of the project, mm-hmm. because of the scope of the project, it was it was one book, um, you know, one 12-page story, one four-page story, a bunch of pinups, some extra added features and whatnot. It became a thing of, yeah, I can manage talking to Julie Speziani, um, you know, who, who was the writer for the project. I can, and I can also talk with Penny Candy Studios about, okay, this is what we need art-wise. And I can go personally go talk with, like, other artists to get pinups and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I can, and I can ma- I could manage that because in the scope of the project, for me, it wasn't that big. And that was the only thing on the plate at the time. I see. And so, and so it was. It was a really for me. It was an easy balance. Now, when you start to incorporate the Kickstarter into that joint, then that's when it started to become a challenge mm. because now you're trying to manage a book that when the Kickstarter when the Kickstarter had kicked off, the like the, the like the base of the story was already was already put together. Like sixty percent of the book was already put together um, when the Kickstarter had kicked off. Okay. Um, because like we had had like a base version of the book, um, that we had demoed at a show, you know, at a show a few months before the Kickstarter kicked off, but we were going to make the Kickstarter edition bigger, add more stuff to it and, you know, have things that only Kickstarter backers would ever see. Mm. So, um, so with the majority of the book already in post-production, um, with the exception of like the bonus story and a couple other things like, um, it was it wasn't that much more difficult to manage but now okay here's a kickstarter and you have a schedule for your kickstarter and we can get into we can get into all the variables of running a crowdfunding project we can definitely get into that later on but um it wasn't it wasn't too difficult honestly to manage being like the editor slash creator on cash and carry and also serve as someone that could talk with Julie to make sure we're on the same page with the story and also someone that could talk with you know Penny Candy Studios and make sure she, you know she's on on track with the art with the artistic endeavor of the story and everybody be on the same page and everything and everything was cool so that wasn't really like a, a really big deal for me now what's become a challenge is is that like say for instance the studio Crown Taker Studios yeah right as of right now like um there are probably like seven or eight books with the Crown Taker Studios logo on them out right now on Amazon, huh. um, on at Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo Store, uh, iTunes, Google Play. Um, and there's like a slew of books out there, like, you know, books like, say, for instance, like Cash and Carry. And Cash and Carry will be taken down probably by the end, the end of November because that book now has a deal with Action Lab. Uh, for, for twenty for twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. um, but like say for instance a book like Motherless Creatures by my by uh, me Tress Tracina Bowling and her husband Danny Bowling, um, Maps by Timothy and John O'Brien, um, let's see uh, Draculama by Tracina Bowling, and a slew of really incredible books by a talented brother by the name of Jacques Niem, who's based out of North North Carolina. Like I wish I would have had. Jacques' creative spirit when I first started doing comics, mm. like he's because when he started a couple years ago, like his stuff was so professional. When as soon as soon as I saw it, I was like, dude, why isn't this over at Boom? Why isn't this over 
like at IDW, why isn't this over here? You know, but like I said, for, for black folks, it's harder for us to get to that door. Mm. Um, and I was just like, well, huh? I was like, I tell you what, let me try to help you. And so like, so we have a slew of his books, like a, Sh- a smorgasbord squad, this bites, not so super. And his whole line of books under the banner too. And all those books are available digitally in all those other spots. And hopefully soon, the majority of them will be on Comixology too. Mm. And but like the biggest problem for me was for me in dealing like managing that is like okay, like um because I thought oh yeah, man, Kickstarter is going to be a piece of cake. And I was like, and there's going to be challenges, but I've already got backup plans for A, B, C, and D, so I can manage this Kickstarter. I can handle reward fulfillment. I can handle you know all the postage stuff. I can handle all the interviews. I can handle the marketing. I can handle. You know, I can I, I can handle all these issues and problems while at the same time get the Crown Taker Studios website consistently up and running, handle the Facebook page, um, then talk with all the creators and say, hey, what is it that you want to talk about on your book so we can make posts for the website? And then the reality of it all is, is that Kickstarter consumed all my time. Mm. Yeah, and you know, the thing is about that Kickstarter too, Sean, was that, you know, um, I, I don't. Being honest, I don't support a lot of Kickstarters unless there's something within that that I feel compelled. Like, this is a great project. I want this thing. I want this book. Whatever this is. You know what I'm saying? And usually the telltale sign that I kind of look for is the the ease of reading through the actual Kickstarter proposal. You yeah. know, like that, that, that's kind of like a, a mile marker for me. Like if I can read through it and at the end of that proposal, once I get, once I've scrolled through it and read down to the bottom of the page and I really don't have any questions or any lingering thoughts, then I feel better about contributing to that particular Kickstarter. And that's how it was with uh, Cash and Carry. Like, obviously I'm like, man, it's Sean's book. Of course, of course I'm going to support it. That was a given, (laughs) but you know, I still wanted to read through all of it yeah just to see like all right you know make sure you know the ducks were in a row so to speak Mm -hmm. and everything and it was so i felt comfortable contributing to that and sure enough like i (laughs) i actually forgotten that i had you know ordered the book man you know you know i got the pdf and everything i Mm -hmm. i was like man it's cool bet man you know cool cool and then the package showed up like a month or so later i was like Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I did. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, man. See, and now, like, and that was the whole, that was the whole thing about it because, like, my biggest concern was because, like, the the biggest my biggest fear actually happened, and that fear was was that I would have an issue with the printer. Oh, so that's what so. Happened. And so I was like, okay, well, backup plan number one is even even if there even if there isn't an issue with the printer. You know what we're gonna do? As soon as this Kickstarter is over, no more than a week or two later, we gonna get we gonna get the people that PDF. Mm. Mm. Because because like for me, for me it's a thing of like I'm paranoid. Like I, you know I'm paranoid. I, I feel like I can't be like some of these creators out here that um you know that like you know will do a Kickstarter and you don't hear anything for like a year. Yeah. Even though like they might put a specific timeline because even in my timeline I said yo yeah y'all gonna get this stuff in August. But I made sure that like y'all, everybody got the PDF by like July. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So I was like, okay, that's gonna hold everybody off for a while. And I was like, please, Lord in heaven, <laughs> make sure that the book gets printed by August. And lo and behold, 
I like I had to go through the first printer. The first printer, their printer literally died. Wow. And so they they got back in touch with me and it was like, listen, um, we are it's gonna be a while before we can order order a printer, but um we're gonna have a printer like sometime this it's gonna take a take them a couple of months. And I said, Well no, that's cool. I understand. I'm gonna have to take this somewhere else. And they're like, Hey, we get it, no problem. Mm. So then I go to another printer. And the other printer was like, yeah, we'll take care of the job. No problem. And I, and I'm and so like uh, it takes them a week to give me a quote. I get the quote back. Um, I'm about to send them payment and I've gave they've got the files. They're about to put in the queue. Everything's cool. And then uh, two days later, they're like, OK, well, we just got a bigger print job. So we're going to knock yours back. <sighs> and I was just like, what? I was like, no, this ain't going to work either. Um, because then they were like, we, you know, I was like, no, that's not going to cut it. So then I had to go to a third printer and like, I had like a list of like four printers. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to the third printer, um, a few, a few weeks had passed and like, we were already surpassed August. And so I finally got to that, that other printer and he was like, yeah, I can take care of you. It's going to take me a little walk around these books. I said, that's fine. Got me, he, but he got me my books and like, and that's why I started shipping out everything in October, like September, October. September, mm-hmm. September actually. I'm sorry. I started shipping stuff in September, and my goal was was to ship everything by uh, before New York Comic Con. And I think, and the, and the whole thing is, is that the, I think the, the last people that are going to receive their awards are the people that that um, were overseas. Ah. And so, like, in their stuff, we will probably show up sometime in November because it's overseas stuff. So, but like, my whole thing is, I, I still get paranoid. Because there are some people, when it comes to these Kickstarters, they can do Kickstarters and their stuff be so late and no one cares. And it's like, oh, hey, it's cool. It's no problem. You're an artistic person. It's okay. And I'm like, and in my world, that don't ever fly. Because my thing is, once again, like I said before, I'm paranoid. And I don't want to be that dude that does a Kickstarter and then be that two or three people be like, well, man, he was three weeks late. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so so then I'm like, well, so it's bad for me to be three weeks late, even though I... I keep in touch with y'all on all my Kickstarter updates, yeah. but these other cats can be a year, year and a half late and y'all ain't mad. So I get paranoid about that stuff. So I try my best to, to make sure people get what they wanted. And, um, and, and, and I'm also made sure another way to keep people, you know, influence, like keep people hyped about the project was like to make affordable stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like, say for instance, like, you know, if, if people contributed X, you know, I had like a, I had a few like, uh, independent comics bundles. I think I even had my own creator own bundle, which was like all, all my stuff from like the PKD media days. Um, we also like, uh, also, uh, like actually debuted motherless creatures through that Kickstarter. That's right. Um, as well as that was, that was like a, a stretch goal. Um, so yeah, like it was, so it was you know, bookmarks and then postcards and all the other stuff. So there are all these different ways for, for people to stay hyped about the project. Um, but like I said, it's just my goal is I just want to make sure everybody gets their stuff because I just don't want to be the dude where everybody's pointing at me and say, oh, man, I ain't get my stuff. That dude's delinquent, and I don't want to be that dude. Yeah, and, and you know what, Sean? I mean, that's that, that that's beyond admirable. That's beyond you know, and I, and I mean that quite literally, you know, because the situation you described in terms of, you know, other Kickstarters that you will see is exactly that, you know, 
And I, th I think a lot of it too is, is that <clears throat> a lot of times, um, well, I won't say a lot of times. I mean, frankly, every day you see another creator or, um, you know, somebody in that regard starting a Kickstarter, some type of crowdfunding. And mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, they're, they're, they, they are legion now in terms of turning around and being able to hit five crowdfunding projects now at a time, almost every other day. And I think yeah. the thing is, is that people, creators, I should say, um, they, they kind of go about it in a couple of ways that I've seen that, you know, when I do see certain telltale signs that mm -mm, I'm not messing with that. Like number one, and I, I guess this would be a good segue into uh, me asking in regards to running a successful Kickstarter, like, like you've been intimating. Um, yeah. Number one, a telltale sign for me is um, in terms of a Kickstarter that I would not feel confident about co um, contributing to is that the, the pricing, the goal seems really high and the project hasn't even been started yet yeah yeah that that can be uh really problematic Very um and like and it, it can be really problematic because the thing is and and, and like, I, like and i know some people really don't understand or they don't want they either don't want to or they really don't have to understand the artistic process of how comics are made mm -hmm. and that's cool i get that I, I get that completely but my whole thing is is that there are some people that are extremely massively over ambitious on these projects and there's like there's nothing has even been started yet mm -hmm. i mean there might be like two or three conceptual drawings and there may not even be a kickstarter video mm -hmm. and i'm like wait a minute you want me to contribute to your project and you're not even showing me anything mm -hmm. you can't do that you you can't you can't do that you have to have something intangible for for people to see and or understand in order for in order for, in order for me to give you that bread mm -hmm. period like see and that's why like say for instance uh c spike trotman uh iron circus comics anytime she does a kickstarter nine times out of ten i will give her that bread because it is laid out Mm -hmm. It is laid out to a T. It doesn't matter whether she's doing an anthology like Smut Peddler. It doesn't matter whether she's publishing somebody, somebody else's book like uh, Sophie Campbell's uh, Shadow Eyes. Mm -hmm. I will give her that money because what she's asking for, the, the price, like say for instance, I think for like Shadow Eyes, I think she might be asking for like 20, maybe 20,000. Mm -hmm. um, but like it's going to be, it's like this book is never, like I think it's, it hasn't been in print forever. It's been on the web forever. Um, it's, you know, it's going to be like square bound and it's going to be shipped on time and I don't have to worry about it because she's done this a number of times before and she always lays out a concrete game plan. So I never worry about her, but some of these other cats that like have no experience need to do smaller projects or scale it back a little bit. And so, so then like to me, that proves to me, Hey, you can do this. No problem. You do another project. I'll give you that bread. Mm -hmm. um, but like you got to start small and then you can move up. But I think like a lot of people get over ambitious and try to do these big projects. And I'm like, yo, you've got nothing to show for it in the beginning. So how can you build when you have nothing to show? And like, and for me, that that's key. You have to have something to show because if I don't believe in it, how can I give you money? Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, and that and that's the other thing too. Um, just in terms of that was one of my other questions. Like, you know, if you thought it was viable to crowdfund or campaign a mm-hmm. um, a mini series or an ongoing, because that's the, that's another telltale, you know, sign to me is like, okay, um, I, I just saw I just saw a Kickstarter the other day for one of my favorite creators. I won't mention who they are, um, but this creator was asking for. $50 per page, you know, drawn, inked, and colored, mm-hmm. but the book would only be done at the rate of a page. As he got $50, he would do that page. Mm-hmm. And then once he got another $50, he would do the next page. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, you're killing me. I mean, you're one of my all-time favorite creators. You yeah. know? And unfortunately, he's he or she, uh, I won't be gender specific, um, mm-hmm. is one of those creators where they're an artist artist, so to speak. Like they have a, a, a small but dedicated fan base. But, you know, even with that, it's like that just doesn't seem viable to me to go page by page like that. Or when somebody has a goal set so high where it's like, now, you know, damn well, the print a uh, one shot book of x amount of copies does not cost sixty thousand dollars right right no bro you trying to get that living wage yo no 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 see trust me i i understand that completely i understand that completely now in one in one side like yo i understand you want to pay people work working in livable wages i'm down for that Mm -hmm. i i have no i have no problem with that but at the same time like when yeah, when folks trying to get like when some folks are trying to get that like beyond living wages, <laughs> you know, it's like oh yeah, we trying to we trying to get filet mignon status with this one. I'm like red lobster, I, yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like no nah, man, you you need to just go back to golden corral status. <laughs> go back to golden corral status for a while. And like I always tell people, it's like if you want to do a Kickstarter, start small, mm-hmm. start small, and and build trust in the people that are eventually that are backing you so then when you come around another time for a different project <coughs> excuse me sorry no problem um when you come around when you come around for, to do a different project then you know you've, you've kind of got a following people know your track record mm-hmm. and you know and so forth and so forth like i'm not really the biggest fan of of like say for instance uh you know just kickstarting like if i'm going to kickstart a mini series i'm kickstarting the whole thing mm-hmm I'm not going to kickstart issue one, then kickstart issue two, then kickstart issue three, then kickstart issue four. I'm not for me. I can't do that. Right. I I can't do that. I would just I would just kickstart the whole project, period. And if I kickstart the whole project, I for me, like in a situation like that, I would then have to show you that the first two issues of artwork are in the can. Right. As proof, as legitimate proof. First two issues are in the can art wise. Here they are right here for you to see, mm-hmm. period. Okay, now that y'all believe that, this is what the miniseries is about. This is what we're trying to do. The money we need is for this. And these are the, re- the rewards that are available. Um, my other thing is, is that also at the same time, for, for your project, depending on what, what project it is that you're trying to, that you're trying to crowdfund, mm-hmm. and there's a difference between, say, for instance, doing like a Kickstarter slash Indiegogo project, and there's a difference between doing that and a Patreon. Like, um, this Patreon life stuff is really, like, it's cool and it's weird because, like, I don't fully understand Patreon yet, yeah. but I find it to be fascinating. 
Um, because like I see like a lot of webcomic creators doing Patreons and like they can and like people will contribute like you know you can like contribute x amount of dollars a month to said creator mm-hmm. and basically that helps you know they they'll create you know the pages and like they'll put them out in a timely manner um and it's not just for like you know web comic creators web comic creators comic creators film you know filmmakers musicians everything and yeah. i find it to be fascinating I, I and i think it's i think it's really awesome i would like to do a patreon one day but i'm still trying to understand how it all works anyway but for crowdfunding itself it's a thing of one, what's your project? And two, depending on that project, how do you know? Do you know how to reach out to that audience mm. that is going to dig that project? Mm. And a lot of people don't understand that because there's a difference between there's a difference between um the audience, finding the audience that's gonna like your project and the people that follow you on Facebook, Twitter, and other forms of social media. That's two different things. Mm, exactly. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Because when um, when we did the Cash and Carry Kickstarter, my whole thing is this. I've got over 2,000 2, followers on Twitter. And all those 2,000 followers, 2,000 plus followers on Twitter, i probably say maybe about 500 of those 2,000 might actually look at my tweets. Okay? Mm. Out, of the, out of that 500... Maybe, possibly, fifty to hundred of those people may actually give a damn that I make comics. Mm-hmm. Out of that fifty to hundred, maybe about sixty of those would invest in one of my projects. Yeah, now that's being very pragmatic, you know. Because, I, and it's a good thing you brought that up too, because that that's one of the things that I was discussing with Julian on uh, his his previous episode with me, just in terms of the whole marketing thing. And it Mm -hmm. goes back to what we were talking about uh, minutes ago about wearing the creative and management hats too. I definitely think, you know, when you're dealing with kicks, uh, not just Kickstarter, but crowdfunding in general, it's just how it sounds. You're trying to get funding from a crowd, but you have to find a way. You have to find a way to get to the specific crowd and speak to them. Yeah. Also, at the same time, getting in, you know, um, potentially people who may not have even been a part of that crowd. That's right. Know? And and that's and that's the challenge. And you find that uh, uh, a lot of times creators, you know, really struggle with that. Like, I I just want to handle just the creative aspect. I want to just write, or I just want to draw. I just want to put everything together. Okay, that's fine. Even in a world where crowdfunding didn't exist, you would still mm-hmm. want people to um, know that your project exists, right? Sure. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. And the thing is, like the only to me, the only cats that can do that that whole, I just want to make this. Mm-hmm. I just want to make this. I'm going to make a crowdfunding project, but I just want to make this, and I don't want to have to worry about marketing or anything else. Those are the people that already have like books and projects with bigger companies. And they're already making money, right? Exactly. Okay. Like they don't have to worry. They don't have to worry about trying to like market or whatnot. Or better yet, they got somebody handling that project for them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. And if they don't, they're popular enough to say, "Hey, I got this project out. Go fund it." And and the thing is, is that the work will come to them. Like the, the comic book websites um, will come to them. Yeah. Which which I, I find to be which I find to be funny because I, I and I made this joke for like and I actually I wasn't joking because I was kind of firing shots like <laughs> the, the the first seven days like the first seven days the cash and carry Kickstarter was seventy five percent funded 
without any mention from like CBR mm-hmm. or or like Newsarama and stuff like that. And like I and I said that I just said you know without the major comic book websites we're seventy five percent funded and and the, and the original goal was three thousand six hundred and we finished at over nine thousand. Mm. And um and so and and because like yo it was a lot of hustle it was a lot of hustle and like I said I didn't do that alone. Special thanks and this is one talking about by um reaching out to audience to like you know to certain audiences um on twitter uh, and this and this uh, lady also hosted the diversity and comics panel at new york comic-con uh her twitter handle is at ms caramel vixen she runs a website vixenvarsity.com she also runs the hashtag uh, black comics month uh, website yeah mm-hmm. and and like we follow each and we have followed each other on twitter and like you know we knew of each other and the moment i and like because like what i did and what I did, like months before the Kickstarter jumped off, I was putting on Twitter at least once a day, like Twitter and Facebook, like um, like pictures, like "Hey, Cash and Carry Kickstarter's coming." It was supposed to start in April, and I just like just kept ramping it up and letting people know constantly. It's just I'm just, like I'm just I'm putting this in your ear. Just want to remind you. Just want to remind you. And I did that like you know I just did it on the low, and then I got sick. In April, I remember I got sick, so I was like, I gotta postpone it. Y'all gotta wait, um, but we're gonna do it. Everybody's like, no, it's cool. Mm-hmm. And then when I got healthy again, I changed the date and I just started putting it in people's ear again. And then when it dropped, she tweeted, she private messaged me and she was just like, no, 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 no. You have to make sure that you pin the tweet with your Kickstarter project. Pin that tweet. So when they go to your page, it's the it's the first tweet they see and they can go see it. And I was just like, damn, mm. I've done this I've done this Kickstarter stuff how many times and I forgot to do that shit? Okay. <laughs> so she was like, pin your tweet. She was like, oh, by the way, in your Twitter bio, put the Kickstarter link to your Kickstarter in your Twitter bio. I was like, oh, that's smart too. Boom, do that. And and like she just gave me like all these tips. And like, and I cause I had like a list of tips. Yeah. But like she had tips. She was like, no, no, no. I'm gonna bring you into like the 2015 era. I'm help you right now. <laughs> I'm gonna help you. And she was like, I was like, all right, bet. So then she was like, listen, let me put you in touch with the folks at panels.net. Wow. They like all ages comics. I think they're gonna I, I think they're gonna like what um what you have to offer with cash and carry. Do you have a PDF? I was like, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And so I gave that PDF. I, I, like so, she put me in touch with uh, Swapna, uh, Swapna Krishna from pan, from from Panels.net, and they talked about it. They so then they talked about uh, Cash and Carry, and then and then all through Twitter, she was just reaching out to people like Caitlin Rosberg from uh, I want to say Caitlin Rosberg from like the Onion AV Club. Oh wow, okay. And like, which really like blew me away, and because like, and, and Caitlin's like, oh, this this book looks this looks incredible, because like, because um, at Miss Carol Vixen was just like tweeting those images constantly, wow. constantly, and she gave the project a big boost, because like I was hustling for it, and she was hustling for it, and she helped put me in touch with people that wanted to really know about the project, that wanted to talk about the project, so because to me. When Cash and Carry showed up on the on the AV Club, mm-hmm. Cash and Carry did not have a book deal. Cash and Carry wasn't even in print. Cash and Carry was just a Kickstarter wow. that was that was going at the time, and it was listed and talked about multiple paragraphs with other comics that are currently in stores. Yeah, I remember the article, man. And like, and from and for me, I was like, "Yo, this is crazy." 
this is absolutely crazy. But it w- but it was great, and it and it felt so good, and it felt so good because like I just like it, it's just just like it's like that scene in um uh what's that movie? Uh, give me one second. The movie with uh Matt Damon and uh Robin Williams and um oh Ben Affleck. Um oh, oh uh, Goodwill Honey. Good Will Hunting. Yeah. It's just like, I just want to walk up to the windows of like CBR <laughs> and, and news around, be like, how you like them apples? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, mm-hmm. but no, but but that's the whole thing. But the thing is, those people that talked about the book and even like um, like Com- Comics Alliance, because like Stephen Stephen Morris from Comics Alliance was like, yo, this is really great. I want to give you, I want to give you all the whole creative team a piece a piece in, in, you know, in Comics Alliance, which I was like, whoa, because I didn't think they was going to mess with, I didn't think they was going to mess with us. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, like, the Mary Sue was like, we would like you like for you to write an editorial. Oh, and, like, wow. and, that, and I was just like, whoa. But the thing is, is that, like, um, I had, like, my contact list because that was a whole other thing, too. I was just like, look, I got to, e- I got to email people. Like, you know, I can tweet and Facebook about this as much as possible. And, like, my whole point, like, my whole thing was is that I figured that through social media from just like the followers I have on Facebook and Twitter, I said, I maybe out of like combined, that's like maybe like 3000 people combined between both social networks. Mm-hmm. I, I said, you know what? Maybe I get about, maybe about a hundred people total. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, I was like, so we're going to have to hustle outside of that. And so with what at Miss Caramel Vixen did that helped boost things a lot. And then I was like, well, let me go through my old email list because when I was with Action Lab, you know, I, I did the whole marketing thing for a while. So I had an email list. But then like you sometimes you would get people because, you you know, because of the position I had, you would get people from other industries and businesses that would email you stuff and then they would have email lists. And sometimes they don't BCC everybody. Mm-hmm. So then you got email addresses like, hmm, I wonder who this is. So I just thought I started started emailing people and some people actually got back in touch with me. Mm-hmm. And and so then that led to other interviews and stuff. And the one interview, I, the one, the one white whale, or you know, like the one white whale, I wish I could have could have caught. Mm-hmm. And I hustled so hard for it. Um, like uh, there's used to be an R and B slash gospel singer uh, by the name of Yolanda Adams. Of course, yes. She has her. She has like a syndicated radio show. Yeah. And one of the people I emailed was her show producer. And I didn't even, I didn't even know, like, I, I didn't even know, because I was just going through these lists of email addresses. And um, one of those people was her show producer. He emailed me back and we just like, we did email tag for like about a month. Mm-hmm. And I was and like, I came this close to being on the show. Oh man. To talk about that Kickstarter. I came that close, but that, but that, but that's what you got to do. You know, like, and I, and I think the whole thing, a lot of, what a lot of people don't understand is, is that um you you got to work for this, you really have to work for it, and um you got to work for it, you got to want it, and you have to keep people enticed and excited, like it's work. It seriously, like it's something that you will stress about every single day. Yeah, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that if you want it, like just the amount of hustle that goes behind it, it's so intricate. You know, so it just oh, so yeah, man. It, it's it, it's heavy, but I say I, I love it. But I'm glad when it's all over. Oh sure, <laughs> of course, of course, man. And, and you know, and, that, and that's one of the things that 
<clears throat> I, I think even as far as myself, you know, just uh, speaking candidly, that's still something that I struggle with, you know, in terms of, you know, putting together, you know, um, a, a project or something that I might, that I may want to have crowdfunded or, or yeah. even, or even beyond that, just really getting the word out about, Hey, I do this. This is my studio. Now it's my studios. I'm Agent Johnson. I'm a creator and mm-hmm. so forth, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, speaking for myself, it's one of those things where you just don't know where to start just because the, yeah. the paradigm has shifted so far now to where, you know, you literally have the world at your fingertips, but you don't know quite how to grasp it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You don't know oh, where yeah. to pick it up at, you know? Oh, no question. No question. And I always just tell people like, before you do the before you do a Kickstarter, just try to try to build your audience as much as you possibly can, so you at least have some somewhat of an audience when you when you finally launch your first crowdfunding project. Mm-hmm. You got to have some form of audience because there've been too many people that once again are overly ambitious and they don't even know who their audience is. Let alone do they know if they have an audience? Mm-hmm. Let alone an audience that's wanting to spend money, and they'll just do a Kickstarter. And it completely bombs, and it could be for a thousand bucks, it could be for ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it can and it just bombs. And they're like, "Well, what happened? You know, all these other people got money. Why didn't I get money?" It was like, "You got to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Let alone a video." Mm. And that's where so many Kickstarter projects fail. You have to have a video. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing on earth, but it le- but it has to at least explain the project, and explain the project and what. And what that project is about, or at least what that project means to you. Yeah. Uh, and um, and because like I'll put put to you like this, it's really rare. It's really rare when a Kickstarter project doesn't have a video, and it gets funded unless that person has a following that's ridiculous. Yes. And the only example I can think of is Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams uh, had a Kickstarter. I think it ended it ended today or to well as of this recording, it ended today or tomorrow for a book called Supernatural. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and like and that 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 dude got like over five thousand followers on Kickstarter or not Kickstarter, but on on on, on Facebook. He got over five thousand followers on Facebook and got a good amount of followers on Twitter. And he did a Kickstarter for you know the Supernatural book, and I was like, yo, I'll give him that bread because Marcus Williams is talented. Yes, and um and like I like the character and I like what you're trying to do. And I know him because he does the artwork for uh, Hero Cats for Action Lab. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I know this dude. So as far as like his work, I like I don't know him like personal personal. I shook his hand a couple times, talked to him for a couple minutes. Like I ain't never broke bread with the man. Right. Um. You know, I ain't never been over his house for Thanksgiving. But <laughs> but like I know of him enough to say I'll give you that bread for a PDF. Yeah. And um. But the thing was, I remember when I saw, I was like, man, he doesn't have a video. And like he was looking for like I think like four thousand dollars for his Kickstarter. But the dude has such a following, he didn't have a video for him, I want to say like two weeks, and he was fully funded with money with money to, you know, with more money coming in. Wow. And and that's rare. And he, he eventually put a video up there because he even he, he said like in, in one of his uh, updates, he was like, Yeah, video's coming soon. I promise. People have been asking for a video. And he put the video in and he ended up with even more money. Mm. And like I'm happy for him. And but like but the whole thing is it's rare. It's so rare. Because like the whole thing is, but the thing is, the thing that that he that benefit that helped him was, at least when you when you read what his Kickstarter was about, it was thorough, 
-hmm. It was detailed. It made sense. And I was like, okay, at least you're telling me what your project's about, what you're trying to do, and it looks really good. But that video is that additional selling point. You got to have a video. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, taking full, it's taking full advantage of everything within, I guess, um, for your capabilities in terms of, man, you know, if I got the opportunity to sell it, you know, this way via video, via word of mouth, via you know the following on my social media networks you know mm -hmm. taking full advantage of all of those facets um combined you know to get this result that, that you hope is a favorable result you know oh yeah definitely and the thing is you can take that because like that's the cool thing about kickstarter that that video link can go on your twitter that video link can can show up on like on a twitter post it can show up on a facebook post it can show up on a tumblr post it can show up on a insta you know, maybe instagram maybe no 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 instagram is a little bit different right but you can put it in like all these different like social media areas and people can click on it and watch it perfect example like um i like where's the crown taker studios page for facebook mm -hmm. and so i did a majority of the i did i did a lot of uh marketing for the kickstarter through the, through that page, and what I would do is like I say, for instance, I had five dollars, and with the face with the whole Facebook advertising thing, you can program the advertising to like you know age groups or like demographics and all this other stuff, and say I want to spend like five or fifteen bucks, and and it will get like so many reaches, so many thousands of reaches for that for that amount of money, mm. and the whole thing is is for that like for like say for instance, I, th I think I did I did that two times, and I spent maybe a total of twenty five bucks altogether. Okay. And for that 25 bucks, I think over 5,000 people just saw the Facebook post for cash, the cash and carry Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And out of that 5,000 people, about a hundred clicked on the link. And so I want to say at least maybe three or four people contributed to the Kickstarter through that. So that $25 was a good investment. Right. You know, for like, cause and not only that, but even for the people that didn't even go to the Kickstarter, they still saw the image and hopefully it's in the back of their head. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what I mean? So like every, every little bit, every little bit helps, but like, and I also try to explain to people, don't put hundreds of thousands, don't put hundreds of dollars into like Facebook advertising. Like, especially if you don't understand like your, your demographics and your targets and like as the variables change too so um because like one time you might get like a thousand another time you might get 180 mm -hmm. another time you might get 2500 another time you might get 50 as far as like just looks so um it, it, all, it all changes depending on what type of demographic you're looking for but um but there's so many different ways to make people aware of your project and you just gotta like i said man you just gotta hustle for it yeah Definitely, definitely, you know, and uh, I, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to be that dude, you know, <laughs> in the coming year to you know really yeah. take heed of that man, you know, because it's, it's just time, it's time, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess as we begin to as we begin to wrap it up, man, I did have one more question for you about an upcoming project um, that you have, and okay. um, that's Force. It's um, an acronym which stands for Oh Football Operations Rated Championship Elite. <laughs> man, I love that shit. But <laughs> it's it, man, it's dope, man. Like yeah. you know, um, now now you've you've been um 
you know, saying it's coming. Much like you did with uh, Cash and Carry, yeah. it's coming. It's you coming. know, and um, and it'll be out um in 2016. And just the the image that you put up, you know, of like you know the presumably the first cover, yes. um, as well as you know those panels with with the, with the team, you know, uh, rolling out, man. You yeah. know, what I'm saying coming on the field, it looks really good. It looks really good. And um, what what struck me about it is, and you also had another um, preview image too of um, the, uh, the 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 QB, you know, yeah. throwing man. Oh, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm I'm already <laughs> there. I, sign me up, yo. <laughs> and I guess without you know um, giving too much away, obviously or whatnot. What was kind of the, the impetus of that? Like you know. Because one of the reasons I also wanted to get you on was that in seeing, you know, um, Force, as well as thinking about, like, you know what? We really don't have a lot of, like, sports comics in the American market. No. But there's a plethora of them, like, especially in Japan. You yeah, know? man. Like, you yeah. know, basketball comics, football comics, comics about golf. Yeah, comics about baseball, everything. Yeah. Everything and 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 that was that was the main inspiration to do to do force mm-hmm. seriously because um, I I've you know I've seen like you know the football manga and the baseball manga and the, ba- the basketball manga like oh I forget for some reason like right now it's it's just um, it's not in my head the title but there's a basketball manga I used to read years ago slam that dunk even, the slam dunk yes yes because they even it was even animated for a while yeah it was mm-hmm. and. Um, and I just remember specifically there's this one there's this one um story where like one one of the dudes got a pair of Jordans. <laughs> yeah. And like and it, and that was the focal point of the story. It's like, yo, I've got Jordans and like everybody was hyped because they was just like, Oh, this is gonna change the game forever. And I was also enamored by the fact that like it embraced so much black culture. Yes. And the thing is, it, but it embraced it in a way that it wasn't appropriating the culture. Mm. At least it felt that it like it felt it wasn't appropriating the culture. It was like, no, no, no. We love this and we want to show our expressions of nineties basketball and what it means to us. And you know, and so like so it like it really like it really I really appreciated it. It just didn't feel appropriated. It wasn't like on some Iggy Azalea shit. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? But anyway. But like, you know, but but reading all those books over the years, I just I, you know, I like, look, capes and tights are cool. Don't get me wrong. But like, damn it, we, you know, we need more variety in our books. Agreed. And, you know, like, and it's great that we have like, you know, all these different all ages books nowadays and like things like Lumberjanes are, you know, taking off and, and, and like, not only that, but even outside, like, you know, with outside of the comic book business, I put that in air quotes, like, you know, Raina Telgemeier been like outselling like a majority of Marvel and DC stuff for years with books like Smile mm-hmm. and Sisters and stuff like that. And I'm like, y'all need to be hitting her up because like it's obvious she doing something right and y'all ain't. Um <laughs> yeah. but like or or even like a cat like Keen Sue. Keen Sue has a book out a series of books out right now called March Grand Prix. Incredible. Huh. It's like it's it's fast and furious with anthropomorphic animals and but and it's great. It's it's just it's great. It's all ages book. It's fantastic. But anyway, I love sports. Yeah, you know, I love. You know, I enjoy comic books. I enjoy like you know all this stuff. I, you know, but like I, I'm also a very big sports fan, and like I've been dying to see more sports comics in the United States. And I'm like, yeah, there's Southern Bastards, but football's only a piece of Southern Bastards. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and that, and that was and that was another thing I was going to mention too. Um, you know, in in the American market as it stands now, you know, it is you know capes and tights and crime being a, a close second, maybe science yeah. fiction as well. And it seems like if you do try to do something like like a sports comic, and and no no disrespect, obviously to Southern Bastards or whatnot. Yeah, none none at all. Yeah. yeah. It is a, a sense of okay. I want to do a sports comic, but it got this other element to it, uh, right? Yeah, right. like I'm gonna do a football comic, but but the secret is they turn into superheroes, like super pro or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like I'm, I'm not trying to do that. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. And yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to do a football drama. Like I want to do, I want, I want to tell like you know a great football story takes place during a championship game, and give you like that TNT television style drama in comic book form. Mm, okay. You know, I want to show the dynamic. I want to show alongside, uh, you know, co-writer B. Alex Thompson and artist Jay Reed. I'm going to tell you something. Jay Reed, people have been sleeping on this brother for like three years. And in 2016, this dude is going to smack everybody in the mouth. Mm. Jay Reed is that dude. I, I swear like just the the intensity and and the intensity the artwork the line work the color work all of it man i'm so i'm so proud of this squad that we put together to make this book and um and i just can't wait to show the world but no i just want to do i want to do sports dramas i want i want to do sports dramas i've been wanting to do this for like the longest time because I want to do all types of comics, and this one literally—it's been in my head for like ten years, mm-hmm. and and for like the longest time because this is what the business will do to you. The business will convince you, no one wants this. Yes, the business will tell you, will, will convince you, no one wants this, no one needs this, no one wants you. Don't do this. Get out of here with this. And the whole thing is when I do when when, when this book comes out. When this book comes out and it hits the shelves and comic book stores and whatnot, my goal is I'm going to get, we're going to get all the readers that love sports stuff that don't fuck with comics. Mm-hmm. We're going to get them to read this book. And you know the other cool thing about it, too, is that we're going to get all the people that read comics that don't watch sports, but they like to read about sports. Mm-hmm. We're going to get them to read this, too. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's interesting because the, the other thing I thought about, too, where I, I think you had mentioned online briefly that it was going to be kind of like a, a football drama as well. I yeah. thought about because um, I'm a huge fan of like like I used to be a big, big time sports fan, you know, really active, even though I, I still watch now. But my thing now is like more like sports documentaries. Like I can't yeah, get like 30 for 30. That's stuff, man. Sir, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> man. You know I I can go on and on about individual ones, but when I saw the uh, concept and you gave that brief mention that it was going to be not only talking about you know uh, the players on the field, but also you know the the front office, oh, yeah. you know politics and everything as well, it immediately popped in my head. That sounds like an episode of Thirty for Thirty. Yeah, man. You yeah, know? like. I just, I just think it's the stuff is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's necessary. Like because I had a friend of mine I was talking to like a couple of weeks ago about it. He was like, "Man, he was like, 
I wish there was a first and ten comic book. <laughs> you remember the HBO show First and Ten? Yeah, of course. You like he was like, man, I, I like he's like back then. I wish there was a First and Ten comic book. I'd have read that all the time. And I was like, look, this ain't First and Ten. I was like, but I was like, still, there's going to be like I said, it's, it's elements of drama, a little bit of comedy. We're going to try to show the dynamic action of football on the field. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, like it's let me I'll break down some of the characters for you. Like say for instance, you have the quarterback uh, Terrence Wright. Mm-hmm. Terrence Wright, he's like you know a thirty-something-year-old veteran. Uh, this takes place during a championship game. It's the Tennessee Boxers. That's the team he plays for. Yeah. Um, and basically, this is his contract year. And, you know, he's coming back off of a major, in- like, off of an injury, lead- led his team through the playoffs to the championship game. And he's basically, you know, he's betting it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's putting his health on the line, his life on the line to play this game so he can get that last big payday. And so you're dealing with that. You're also dealing with like um, an owner, like uh, his agent, mm-hmm. um, you know, and his agent who's always looking for other clients because that's what agents do because agents, agents like money. Right. And so his agent is bringing in like this, uh, this like young, like Tim Tebow-ish type, you know, quarterback just graduated out of college, yeah. you know, about, about to prepare for like, you know, their league draft. He's like, you know, come to the, come to this championship game, see what this life is like. I'll introduce you to people, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, so now you got this young kid, you know, this, this like, you know, soon to be rookie that's going to be exposed to this world and ownership. Then there's also the ownership too. There's like, you know, this, this eclectic owner, like a Jerry Jones-ish type dude. That, that's, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that's about the bottom line, you know, but like he's loyal to a point, but it's really about the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And there's also the owner's daughter um, who, who like has been in like in a relationship with the quarterback for years, they're kind of like the Jay Z and Beyonce of sports. <laughs> yeah. And but the, but the thing is with them, the line between professional life and personal life has always been blurred, and they struggle separating the two, or knowing when okay, are we in this role or are we in this role? Mm-hmm. And you know, we're going to talk about that stuff too. And I really want this to be something that does so well that. The following year, we do another one, but it talks about another football team in the league. Mm-hmm. And I want to make this kind of like an anthology series. And just like every year, every year we just talk about a different squad, a different situation, a different story. And and like just really talk about not just the sport, but everything that involves the sport. You know, like like right now the, in the NFL, the NFL has an issue of, okay, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll uh, let players, like, you know, wear pink when we tell them we, they can wear pink to talk about cancer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but, like, you know, don't be out here putting, like, you know, uh, black black mark stuff on your face and, like, putting, like, you know, words of your parents, you know, your parents' names on that yeah. because you can't be doing that. You can't be doing this. Like, we tell you what you can actually celebrate. We will tell you. Whereas other people are like, yo, man, I just want to celebrate, you know, I want to you know, celebrate my mother. I want to celebrate my father. No, 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 no. Like, it, it, like, it's like I said, like there's so much stuff going on in the NFL right now that honestly is story worthy. Yeah. And I want to talk about those things. I want to talk about those things. And with, and with B Alex Thompson with, and with Jay Reed, we're going to be able to do that. And like I said, it like, whether it be this, you know, this next year, and this is cause it's coming out fall 2016, mm-hmm. whether it be this cash and carry, um, and a couple other projects I'm trying to get jumping off. Like, like I said, the Crown Taker Studios. Like now, for me, the biggest challenge is 
is organizing this in a way where I can manage all of it and talk about all these projects and talk about all these wonderful creators and also still work with other publishers like I'm working with Action Lab for Force and Cash and Carry and now but it's a, it's a different relationship now. You know, it's you know, now now I'm just now it's a, it's a creator publisher relationship instead of president of publisher relationship. And you know and and that, that's and that's probably a good a good place to um kind of ask this final question, um, taking it all the way back to the top of the hour. Um, in terms now, you know, um, as opposed to um, the period uh, back in, um, I guess, early last year in 2014, where, you know, you just kind of felt um, burnt out in a sense and needed to take yeah. a step back from the business as a whole. And now that you're coming back and you've gotten you know, this great response to, you know, projects that you're putting out now and um, are forthcoming, as is the case with Force. How do you feel in terms of um, not necessarily just the business, because unfortunately the business is what it is, but in terms of your place within the business now, now that you truly have exhibited that you are capable of doing all of the um, things that you set out to do and more. Like, how do you feel as far as like your place, you know, within that, um, within that realm now? You know what? Now it's uh, it's really what it is now is that like, <laughs> and, and part of my French when I when I when I say this, uh, for, for for those for those listening, <laughs> I don't give one fuck what the business thinks about me anymore. <laughs> I don't. You know what? Because like the whole thing is the whole thing about the whole thing about this is like this whole cash and carry and force and all these other things. It's a wake up call to me. It was really is a wake up call. And I was like, yo, man, creating is what I do best. But the thing is, is that all these things I've done over like the last five years really meant something to me. And it proved to me that I can do this and I can be a part of this business mm-hmm. and and that, you know, I can be successful. And honestly, I am successful. You know, we all determine what our own success is. And and my biggest problem is is that like the alienation that the business does to people of color really made me made me personally feel like I was a failure. And the truth of the matter was I I am not a failure. I'm not. Yes, I've 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 had great things happen. I've I've made my share of mistakes. Lord Jesus knows I've made my share of mistakes in the business. But the whole thing is is that I no longer care what anybody in the business thinks about me because I know what I am capable of. And I know I can run circles around at least 60% of these people. And the other 40%, I know I can challenge them face-to-face. Mm. And I ain't worried about none of them. None of them. And like I said before, I'm more than, I'm like, it, I, I love the challenge. I love the challenge. And I wish more people in this business love challenging each other instead of coming at, oh, we're all peers. We're all friends. We're not all friends. Let's, let's be 100 yeah, we're not because if we was all friends, the business would be a lot better to people of color right now, wouldn't it? Yeah, I should. I think it'd be a lot better to people of color, um, for uh, female creators just yes. across the board. Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. But no, man, I don't care what they think about me no more. Not at all. I know what I'm capable of. I know what I can do, and w- and win, lose, or fail, I'm gonna do it. That concludes this episode of Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson. Any feedback or comments are always appreciated. You can email the show at artistproofpodcast at gmail.com. 
Artist Proof with Adrian Johnson is a production of Inazuma Studios, LLC. Copyright 2015. Inazuma.